0: Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us once again on the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show. We're here. We had the wonderful pleasure of sitting down with just the most handsomest young man you've ever had a chance to listen to.
1: And there are some pretty handsome people on this team.
0: There's at least one other handsome person on this podcast.
1: But none of them are as handsome as Mr. Jacob Sorling.
0: god damn that man's hot you know what i wish i wish it could be married to him
1: you know what i wish that wait a second i am married Aww, to
2: him you and are... it's the best
1: we've been married for about three months now
2: i
0: can only imagine we sat down and talked with him for just over an hour and it just made me want to
2: spend a lifetime with him so i'm very jealous this conversation that we had with jacob left me feeling more inspired because recently i just i've been dead inside completely it's a charcoal furnace down there so he honestly warmed my heart back up to the artistry that is what is why are y'all both laughing
1: (laughs) just you talking about being dead inside and
0: being a charcoal furnace you said you said charcoal furnace down there and i know you didn't mean down there down there is a charcoal furnace but i like to think that jacob warmed up
2: your down there brought it back to life. I know he does. Jacob warmed up the whole sausage, all right? From from head to toes.
1: For people who don't know, yes, he is my husband. He is also my duo partner. We play as Buddy Puzzle. He produced many live shows, produces films, and is truly one of the best improv partners that I've ever had. He's also one of the biggest improv nerds I've ever met. He thinks about improv 24/7, and I know i sleep in a bed with him and he's just very very dedicated to the art art form and so i feel so lucky that we were able to pick his brain
0: we had a great time talking to him you're gonna have a great time listening to him please enjoy our artist brain interview with mr jacob sorling
3: you're listening to the storm
1: chaser improv podcast show
3: I uh, went to a spin class yesterday and I was wearing the Climax shirt. And I don't know if you guys know, I got an extra small. So it I really, I really wear it. <laughs> so I thought this will be fun. I'll go to this spin class that's just like 15 ladies who have never done spin before and me. And um, cause it's community week. And, uh, and we text a picture to Greg and then he was also wearing a Climax shirt and about to go do leg day. Oh, <laughs> amazing.
0: <laughs> In my mind, when you told that story, you're because it's an extra small, it's just like a crop top and it's
3: like frayed at the bottom.
1: I mean, pretty much.
3: Pish, what are you wearing? It looks like you're wearing a jersey. Oh, yeah, boy. Oh, is that Vince Wilfork? No, is that um, Vince (laughs) Young? No, I
2: wish it was. It's a Colt McCoy t-shirt.
3: Oh, I like Colt McCoy. He he had a better career than Vince. Yeah,
2: he had a much better career. I mean, he still wasn't ever great, but. That's what people are going to say about me. He wasn't ever great,
3: but. He had a
1: pretty good career, but he wasn't ever great.
0: He wasn't ever great. You're a fool, Travis, you're a damn fool.
3: Hey, let's do a podcast.
0: Woo! You want to? I mean,
3: I'm down if you guys are down. I'm down. All right, now that we got this technical stuff figured out, I can uh, center myself a little more. Yeah, please center yourself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Jacob, we're so excited that you're here on the podcast.
3: We're doing
0: it. We're doing yeah, man! It. Really excited to have you. Thanks, guys. First official guest of
3: season two. So, congratulations. Hey, it's really nice to be here, to be in your studio. <laughs> I listen to a lot of NPR, so I know how I know how to rock this mic. <laughs> you're rocking
0: it i'm just an awe uh, i'm just i'm just sitting here just like mesmerized so where are y'all recording right now y'all are recording from
3: we're recording from cedar city utah at the utah shakespeare festival wow what are y'all doing at the utah shakespeare
2: festival
3: you know being in love acting
1: yeah we oh. just got married
3: on our official marriage license it says reverend guru andrew pish
1: I think that's it's a, master, reverend ma- guru, Andrew
2: Pish.
3: That's a legally binding document, and it says that. It. <laughs> hey, when you put in the work that I have
2: to do what I do, it's uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to sign whatever I can on those legally binding documents.
1: All right, Mr. Sorling. How did you come to improv?
3: <laughs> it feels so... Uh... Interesting to, to, to record this way. <laughs> uh, my wife asked me how I came to improv. Guys, improv changes lives. My stepfather, Gary, is from, uh, from Illinois. He's from Chicago, from the Joliet area. And he grew up watching Second City in the probably 60s and 70s Yeah, and he loved it he introduced me to actually a lot of stuff i give him a lot of credit for the kind of art that's influenced me today so when when i went out to visit like his mom over chris over christmas when i was like 13 he insisted that we go to a second city show fun fact that show was the red scare and brad morris was in that show whoa
2: Member of The Reckoning yeah, from one wow. of our favorite teams. From The
3: Reckoning. Shout out Brad Morris. Shout out The Reckoning. Shout out the Second City. Shout out Red Scare.
0: Um only I do shout-outs. Uh, sorry, I forgot to tell you the rules <laughs> of the podcast, but only
3: only I do shout outs. So I if you could, been meaning to talk to you about your promoting. Um <laughs> I think we could shout out some <laughs> some wider <laughs> stuff. So, uh, get a wider range of <laughs> shout-outs. Um so I saw that show and no one really tells you up front like the difference between sketch and improv. So I wasn't sure they weren't improvising at that time. It wasn't for like another two years when I went back finally that I realized um, the difference. But then when I finally did see an actual improv show uh, outside of like Who's Line, um, it was as good as the sketch show was in my mind. My 16-year-old brain was like, wow, that's that literally is as good as their main stage show. I want to do that. The little town I was from didn't have improv at all no one even knew what it was no one knew what in second city was just whose line is it anyway i started doing speech and debate because uh they had impromptu speaking which if you guys don't know that's formalized speeches that you improvise (laughs) so you get like a topic and you put together a very professional and formal speech and uh present it as though you would present at like a conference and I took it as, oh, this is my moment to do five minutes of improvised stand up. I never placed I bombed. Probably uh, every time I competed. And I went all around Colorado for two years just doing. Uh,
1: do you remember any examples of like an impromptu, just a speech where they gave you a prompt and like how you turned it into stand up,
3: basically? The thing, I, I don't really remember exactly. I can't remember the topics they'd give you. They'd give you like three words, but it'd be like, you know what? What's the deal with, you know, I was basically like inspired by Dave Chappelle and Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> Dave Chappelle was my favorite stand up when I was a kid. And I memorized the first 15 minutes of his special for what it's worth. So at the same time, I was doing forensics, I would just bust this like first 15 minutes of this routine out. So a lot of the way I tried to speak in cadence was similar to the way he speaks in for what it's worth. That's awesome. Like he kind of does this thing where he's like, um, he'll go. So I was on a, I was smoking a cigarette on the train in San Francisco and uh, someone got bothered. (laughs) Sir, put that cigarette out. So I flicked it. I didn't want a problem. So like that exact cadence, (laughs) I was like, I'm going to just take this and I'm going to try and riff. (laughs) Amazing. I
1: know. I have to say this doesn't surprise me because I imagine 16 year old you being pretty nerdy about comedy because you still are very nerdy in such a specific way that I haven't met other people who are nerdy in this way where Jacob. Really likes the history of improv and the theaters and who was where and how they connected and what teams they were on and all that stuff. And he knows a lot about that. And I think the only other person that I that knows things in that way is BOC. I've like never met anyone else who's like super interested in like the path people took and not just the show itself.
3: I I used to go to indie shows in, in LA and I would like submit to all of the shows you guys know. And I would look at their newsletters to see who the lineups were. So then when I'd finally meet someone, I'd be like, oh yeah, I know you guys. And I'm like, how do you know us? And I'm like, oh yeah, because you host the show at like the Inner Sanctum at UCB. You're this person. And then why do you know that? And I'm like, your newsletter. <laughs> what What is it? What drives you to be that nerdy? I am so... Nerdy about it because I want to be good at it. I think the misconception about when it comes to art is everyone's like, I want it to be real. And it's like, we want it to be real, but we want, but it's from a history of storytelling, you know? And so when it comes to like the improv, it's like, you can't discredit the history behind it. Like, you can't do something really well, I don't think, if you don't understand the roots of where it comes from. You know, like if we just get up on stage and we're ourselves like that's boring to watch. And so if you want to be really good at improv, you have to know why improv grew to what it grew to and what it is today in order to like kind of master that.
1: That's really interesting because I I feel like there's a generation that understands how to read a film, like has watched so much film and television that the conceits of film and television, you can almost get away with cutting corners because everybody gets what you're doing or saying as opposed to if you saw it for the first time you'd be like what am I looking at and I feel like in LA you could be like I'm going to teach people how to read my improv show and then the next time they come they understand my conceits but what do you do when it's like you're understanding the history but what do you do when you're doing it for an audience that's never seen long form and how can you teach them what your show is so they can watch it.
3: I I personally like, and I'd love to hear what you guys have to think about this, uh, since it's not something I've fully fleshed out in my mind, but I kind of like what like improvised Shakespeare company does. They tell you like, you know, up front, this is fully improvised. This is, we're going to be doing scenes. We've never, it's, we're going to do it in the form of a play. And so we all already understand what a play is. And so we have language for that. And, uh, then they go from there. So then I think a lot of our language and improv comes from film and from stage and everyone watches and consumes a lot of TV, film and and plays. And so when we give that as our base for it up front to people who have never seen it, they already kind of understand what they should see.
2: Yeah, I honestly, that's a, a kind of Brings up something that we've been thinking a lot about in producing the show that we're producing now. Because, I mean, honestly, I feel like improv is struggling as an art form that's worthy enough to attract audiences right now into theaters. How do we do this? How do we get the conceit across in the production of the show?
3: I think, you know, in you stating that, I think that I have to really compliment you guys in the way you're performing with the shaky town shakedown, even though I haven't been to it, obviously I'm just consuming your stuff over um, social media and seeing that you guys are making like a playbill and you're putting all this advertisement out and you're building a, you're constructing like what the show looks like. I think that the problem with improv in the past has been that we're, we're trying to get good at it because we, we don't know if it can be a career or not, but we're trying to get good at it because it's a great tool in your tool belt for other forms of art and performance. And so we do so much of it for other improvisers. And so we don't need that language with them because they're doing it too. So they know what it looks like. But if you want to have success in performance to sell your show or package it to people on a grander scale, then you do have to always assume they don't know what it is, you know? So there, there before the pandemic hit, there was kind of a a laziness I always felt in improv when it came to being like, oh, we don't warm up. We don't dress intentionally. we will show up two minutes before the show. But if you give a shit about what you're putting on the stage, it's it's like honestly pathetic that we're like, it becomes this lazy sport where we're like, yeah, I mean, that's the whole point. The whole point is that we don't care that we like don't plan anything that we're like trying to figure it out in the moment and right now since we're working in regional theater where it's like they're thinking about the costume design the set design who's directing how they're gonna mesh their seasons together and package it as a whole literally a year out so they're already thinking about next year right now and then improv is kind of literally the polar opposite and i don't think that was the point the point is just like you don't need all the frills, you know? You don't need a million light cues and crazy costumes. We can put on as good of a connected energetic exchange and convincing show without all of that stuff. But it doesn't mean you don't do warm ups and you don't try to connect and f- and set intentions before you get on stage. Like you should still do all that stuff, yeah, and that's that's how we package to new people and you guys are crushing it. yeah, no, it's very cool. I love everything you
0: just said, snaps for sure. One of the things that inspired me was this story of this world-class violinist. He's like, he had just played like Carnegie Hall and tickets were like $1,000 a seat. And it was like, he like sold out and he's incredible. And then he went and played, he went and busked in the subway and people just walked right past him. They just didn't pay attention to him at all. And kind of like the moral of that story was that like the packaging matters, like where you're at matters. And so you can be the best Performers, the best improvisers in the world, which we are.
1: <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to laugh. I was gonna, you know, uh,
0: uh, would have been weird if you didn't. <laughs> but the point is that, like, we're we're not we're just trying to like do ourselves some favors by you know putting some packaging around us that supports the time and effort we put into our craft.
1: Yeah, I I feel like even in the shows that I'm in now. Something that I talked about doing comedy in the context of Shakespeare and in the context of this space was that I was like even something as simple as the lights being too dark will be like audiences like I can't totally see them so that so then it's not funny or like even the brightness will change whether a moment is funny or not. And I was like this is crazy how much of a razor's edge Comedy can feel like, and in improv, your you don't you haven't even proofed the razor's edge that you're walking on. So, anything you can get from the audience by building around can create that consistency. And I think you guys are doing a great job. I wish I was there. I'm
2: really. <laughs> You know, something I kind of want to dig into, Jacob, is you and Anatasha's relationship because it's something that's so unique and beautiful about your relationship is how y'all geek out on the same stuff. I'm really interested in how do you think that kind of shapes the process of your artistic intuition and drive?
3: Man, I feel like I I get my rocks off in art so much easier. By the fact that we're a team and want to work what does together,
1: get rocks off. You know what I mean? <laughs> I get me <my> rocks off. <laughs> wait, Natasha,
3: don't ask questions you don't want the
2: answers to. <laughs> okay, <laughs>
1: okay. Um, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I just got really caught up head. on. That. So
2: wait, go go back to before you said get rocks off, and say it <laughs> one more time, please. What
3: really blows my lid, <laughs> whatever, what really shoots my juice is. um <laughs> Okay what really blows my socks is uh <laughs> the fact that when we, when we're working together uh you know the art and commerce side is kind of hard like finding jobs is hard and and when we can work as a team it like takes away the ego of it like if I'm feeling self-conscious I never feel self-conscious about Tasha So when it comes to getting gigs and working off each other, we think so similarly that I find reward and I find artistic release in helping her craft stuff too. For example, like before Tasha did All's Well that ends well here at USF or, or The Tempest, like we talked about everything she wanted to put up and I like helped direct and talk about ideas and some ideas that like we came up with together have ended up on the stage. So even though... There's a director for that show and other actors on that stage. We'll be like, wouldn't this be funny? And then she'll go try it and it ends up on stage. So I still feel like a rewarding feeling between us. We're so different from each other. It's like easier to find opportunity together.
1: Also, you know how they say TJ and Dave, Dave are like walk around and they talk about things before the show so that they have they're they're in relation to one another before they're in that the headspace of performance. And, How much history the three of us have playing together, taking the same classes, having the same coaches and the same language. And those friendships make our show really special. It's like that, but I'm with him all the time. We're doing dumb scenes and bits before I even get out of bed in the morning. There's a shared language there where if we go into a show, and it's been a while since we've done a show, which we did a 45-minute set recently on SUU's campus, just the two of us as Buddy Puzzle. And it went so well, and it like didn't matter that we hadn't done improv in that context in a long time because we're just always doing bits and we're always reading the same books and talking about the same films and reading poetry together. And then that all ends up on, on stage just the way that it, it does with our team.
3: And I, I I would bet this is true for you, Travis, but you you could tell me one thing that's been like so beautiful and great with both aging and in getting married to Tasha is like, I feel that same feeling about connection, like within the community. So, like, I feel pride and de facto about what you guys are doing and feel like I'm an extension of that at this point. And then when I see your pictures, and I'm like, Annalia's there, Bonnie's there, Steven's there, all from the film we made together in St. Louis. And Andy's there and all these people some of the clown people we worked with with jet and jet and holly being there You know, some of those people were people that I knew before I ever met tasha and before I ever met you guys And so there's sort of this like whoa this community that's like and it's small While also getting kind of big but it does feel small enough that it's like we we're all like bouncing off each other now in this way and I don't know if marriage heighten that but I definitely feel like because we're so similar and we share a lot of the same values and community like it definitely has strengthened because of our relationship
0: yeah i feel that a hundred percent i think yeah any communities that whitney is a part of i feel a part of and whitney feels very involved in the improv and clown community because of her relationship to me and all of us in fact jet just invited whitney and i to a rehearsal with her highland park clowns shout out highland park clowns and uh Whitney ended up rehearsing with us a little bit and it was like really fun and super scary for Whitney, but it was a blast. It was super fun. So I think you're 100% right.
1: That's so funny because I was doing um, a rehearsal with Jet. This might have been pre-COVID. It's been a while, but I was doing a rehearsal in her living room, just the two of us. And she was like, I just need some more like good actors to play with. And I was like, yeah, the Coxes." And she was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know, you don't you don't often think of, Whitney for the improv show, but you probably should think of Whitney for the Uh, improv show, you know, because she's such a good performer and brings this grounded energy that a lot of comedians can't quite touch in the same way. She's so brilliant.
0: When it comes to clowning, where it's all about like your emotion being close to the surface, I mean, Whitney's emotions are like... Right up to the surface in their constant day life. So it was very simple exercises of just like looking at each other. And Whitney was like electric. <laughs> it was crazy.
3: Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, I can only imagine.
3: Whitney just has tons of presence. So I feel like she can get self-conscious thinking like, oh, but I'm, I'm not funny. But she can't not have presence uh-huh. and she can't not react. And I'm like, that's all that's improv funny. is. That's improv funny. is listening, absorbing and reacting. That's it.
0: That's it right there. That's a good segue, Jacob. Let's talk more about your improv philosophy. You just said that improv is listening, absorbing, and reacting. Are there any other like mantras or improv philosophies that you kind of subscribe to?
3: You know what's interesting is I had a l- like last year, Tosh and I did a show. and um and I felt horrible after I felt like it was like we like we bombed and Tosh felt okay. I was like, it was okay. I felt like maybe this art form can't serve me in this bigger way. Like it can't become this scripted, great USF level show. And, and maybe it's not meant to be. And I, and I just decided from that moment on that, and it, and it's just been true for me since then, that if I'm going to keep doing improv, I can't care about that anymore. A lot of everything that I've been preaching and teaching and practicing in improv is just love and loving what we're doing. And being present to the moment, being like, it's it's way more important that we just have fun. And so I'll set intentions. I'll still do all that work. I'll still read poetry and and do tongue twisters and meditate before a show. But ultimately, it's just been, but I'm like, I just want to appreciate the people that are taking the time to try and be present on stage with me and, and have fun.
0: I love that. Fish and I just did two shows. The first one we did Carol's Pool House. Shout out Carol's Pool House at the Clubhouse. <laughs> and uh, upstairs
3: still, or it was downstairs, it is right?
0: downstairs now. And it was a super fun show. And and I don't. I mean this as a compliment. I just felt very comfortable at that show. I didn't feel like there was pressure to be good. I didn't feel like you know what I mean. And and then we had this show most recently, the Shaky Town, where we had a sold out audience. Cook County was there. Obviously, Jet and Holly were there. And I just I did. I, I, I really wanted to be good that night, you know, and then I look back on the two shows. My fun level at Carol's Pool House was through the roof. Like I freaking had so much fun in that show. Probably too much fun. I broke like every 30 seconds, but I had a great time. And then the pack show, the shaky town show was good. Don't get me wrong. I think we had a great show and it, I was I love playing with Pish. It was a great time but I definitely was not in flow. You know what I mean? I was not as in that flow that that comes when it's, it, it didn't feel as easy. And I think it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, all that matters is if we're having a good time. Like if we're with each other, and we're loving each other, and we're loving this art and we're having fun,
3: that's it. I like though that you're like pushing that edge. Cause that feels like a little, like chasing the storm in that you guys are inviting our mentors and being like, share an hour, we're gonna crush it. And that will build tension and make you nervous and scared. And so, you can't really be in a full state of flow. Man, I used to do Carol's Pool House a long time ago. That show's been around forever. Shout out uh, Carol's Pool House newsletter. Okay, Um,
0: okay, okay, um, can we, Tasha.
1: Hold on, side meeting?
0: Get him in
3: line, yeah, Tosh.
1: Shoutouts or Travis gets to do the shoutout. Pish and I don't even get to do shoutouts. You know,
2: I want
3: to do shoutouts so bad. Don't even think about it. <laughs> you got to chase that storm sometime, Pish. <laughs> <laughs> but I used to be nervous of that show. Is what I was going to say. Mm. Here's another
2: question I have, Jacob, because this is this goes along with what Travis was saying. I feel like that we had this is terminology that we use. We were wearing producer hats a lot around the show, and there were. So many things that we had to make sure were right and set up and check with other people at the theater beforehand. And I mean, we got there two hours early and it felt like we didn't stop doing things and have a chance to start like checking in with each other until maybe 20 minutes before the show. And then 10 minutes before the show, we had to start setting stuff up. And about five minutes into that time, Jet and Holly started to get there and Cook County started to get there. We were navigating the... Difficulty of not being able to just show up and be a performer. And so as you and Anatasha have begun to start writing and producing films and your own work, what have you found specifically in that? Like, like how do you make the transition skillfully from producer to performer?
3: I think that's why everyone says don't wear multiple hats Um, because you guys are really screwing. (laughs) No, no, no. I need (laughs) answers. I don't (laughs) need it. Don't put the kibosh (laughs) on this. No, but this is why meditation exists. You know, you got to separate the two and give yourself enough space to fully transition. Just like a movie edit. Like you need to give yourself that period between like, all right, we're in the rough storm and now we're in the calm. And and mentally that's kind of hard to do. I, I, in producing with Tasha, one of the main things I always did was like, okay, I can be like worried about people coming, checking in, making sure everything's ready to go. But the moment that we're getting ready to perform, like Tasha seems cool headed about that. She's very even keel, I'm like, you have to talk to tech. Like I can't because I'll be too stressed about is the light cue right or is it not? I literally like relinquish control to that once the show starts because I won't be able to be present enough for performance. And that's more important than whether a tech cue is good or not. Because that's why we do improv. If you're there for the light show, then set up a light show. If you're there for the improv, then you better make sure that's the thing that you're putting enough focus on. love that.
1: I have two thoughts on this. And I don't know. Sometimes this is effective for me, but it's something I'm still working on. Josh Waitzkin talks about in The Art of Learning, like, building a trigger to put yourself in a, in the correct good flow headspace. And he has, like, a whole chapter about how that can take 30, like, you know, 30 minutes of, like, the song that makes you feel good and a time when you're, like, some an activity that makes you feel good and stretching or whatever it is. And then truncating that down until, like, slowly over time – so that you do 30 minutes for a while, then you do 20, then you do 10. And then eventually it's like a ah, song or one stretch can make, can put you into that same triggered space. But building that takes time because you're like trying to put muscle memory into your body of like that good fo- flow space. So that's something I've been working on. The other thing too is practicing in chaos and, and, de- and, and, deciding to thrive on it, but literally practicing it. Like, so to make rehearsal chaotic in the same way, whether that's through games or something, like going on a run or something and then being like, and now we have to jump into a scene and see if your body can get used to thriving in that instead of finding it something that diminishes your play.
3: That's cool. I also find that having things that are constant before shows, I, I listen. I've been listening to the same playlist of songs for six years. I listen to that playlist before every show. I do the same tongue twisters before every show. If I have the time, I do the same stretches and meditations before every show, and I always set intentions. What's uh, what's one of the songs on that playlist? Cough syrup by Young the Giant. Give, give me a tongue twister. The drunk tu- The drunk dump truck driver hit the shell shocked soldier's shoulders. <laughs>
1: It twisted his tongue just now. Did you
3: see that? I didn't do any before the podcast. (laughs) Hey, Tasha, don't, uh, no, we don't need you talking about Jacob's
0: tongue on the podcast, okay?
2: Yeah, Jesus. Oh, God, they're making out again. No. Shout out Jacob's tongue. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, buddy, where are you going? All right, all right. What's all the fuss? What's that? This would be a good place for an ad? No, I know we don't have a sponsor, but I wonder what one would sound like if there was one. Ooh, it's a scorcher out there. Are you feeling the burn? Why don't you beat the heat with an ice-cold Storm Chaser Hard Seltzer? The most refreshing seltzer ever invented. What kind of alcohol is it? Do you care? Storm Chaser Hard Seltzer. I'll chase that storm. So, as as an artist, as a performer, Jacob, what is inspiring you? What has been on your mind recently? Like where are you looking for
3: growth? I'm look This is interesting because I look at all of art as being like growth for life and it kind of sustains my life. Like if there's any God I prayed to, I think it's the God of theater. Everything I want to do, like in studying the history of improv, it's like I want to get better at that thing, but I also want it to work in my favor for things outside of the stage. Like kind of everything I build towards putting on the stage is just beneficial towards off the stage. Eating really well, meditating, setting intentions, learning about different cultures and ways of life and people so I can present them on stage are only beneficial to me off stage as well, as beneficial if not more. You know, We don't make money really from improv, not much. And so really it is like a way of life more than it is just an art. Lately, I've been really into, I've been listening to conversations and um, talks on the Waking Up app with Sam Harris. And he's got this talk about wealth management and why it matters with this uh, guy named Morgan Household And what he kind of said is that the key to like long-term wealth, um, so that's what this podcast is, uh, <laughs> shout out Morgan Housel. Um <clears throat> Good job, Jacob. <laughs> Sorry, Travis. <laughs> we'll, get, well, we'll get to get you there. you um,
1: the tyrant.
3: <laughs> that's part of it. I'm nervous to do this in front of Travis, and that's why I have to face my fear. So he talks about like how if you want long-term wealth like it compound you have to compound it slowly over a long period of time. Warren Buffett didn't even become wealthy until he was about 60. And he started investing he says when he was like 11 that means there's like 50 years of constantly doing the thing and not seeing the deep growth compared to the rest of the population when it comes to health and fitness when it comes to improv it's like oh i just have to keep doing it it's not about being like oh i set a new pr i set a new max or oh i did this crazy new innovative thing on stage but sometimes it is just about being like, I'm very consistent about it and I'm still just putting a little more in the pot. It's fantastic.
0: I think the, the power of consistency is
3: often overlooked.
1: It's so important to do it when you don't feel like it. And sometimes it's like, you truly need respite. You truly need a break. But just like working out, there's just a lot of days where it's like, it's not even that your body needs rest. You just had a busy day and you don't feel like it. But that compounding interest is partially about doing it on days when you're like having a habit and just being like, "All right, I'll I'll do a show, you know, I'll do it."
3: I also think that like there's a misconception in our society because we like glorify sports and athletics. But yeah, shout out Texas University. <laughs> damn it, damn it's it's it, Jango. University of Texas. Thank you, the um, University of out, Texas. A- <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: shout out Brene Brown.
3: Shout out Texas A and M. So. <laughs> Shout out Johnny Menzel. All right. Those I'll allow. I got you. If it annoys pitch, I'll allow it. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is like, right, like because we glorify athletics, it's like, how fast can you run a 40? How much can you bench press? How far? What distance can you run? But it's like, can you balance on one foot for a minute? Can you pick up your kid and not hurt your lower back? That's like building up towards the longevity that you want. the rest of your life. What I'm thinking is that when it comes to theater and performance like yeah we imagine stuff on stage and we play like that's a great part about improv like you can be anything you want on stage that's kind of the beauty of of improv but like there's still a limit of like if you can't jump four feet and you say your character can jump four feet it becomes like a bit that you can't do it but also If you can jump four feet, you can jump four feet high. You know what I mean? Like, as an example. And so, like, there's only you can do it or you can't. It expands your toolbox, you know? Like you're saying,
0: if you have those abilities, you can use them. You don't have to, but you can. I was just listening to uh, another improv podcast called The Backline. And (laughs) shout out, Backline Podcast. They...
1: Is what? this gonna be all season?
0: How much should they pay? I, I don't for know. That we'll app. see. Not enough. I'll, I'll Venom. Them. They're they're guys out of Toronto and they were they were talking about the new wave of clown. How I guess it's definitely happening in LA where clown is getting traction. I guess it's happening in Toronto too. And they were commenting on how physical clowns play, you know, and they went and saw a clown show and they were like rolling around on the ground and they were doing all the stuff and they had the realization they're like, oh, I never do that in a show. I think I Want to be able to do that in the show. And it's like, yeah, you get you learn those skills, you have those abilities, you treat your body right, and you you just have a wider range of things you can play with.
1: Speaking of clown, Jacob and I sometimes nerdily will just turn on improv shows, even our own. And we turned on the Storm Chaser out of bounds shows and watched them. And Jacob put it so beautifully. He was like, I never realized it before. But a lot of times Storm Chaser is three clowns doing Improv.
0: I love that.
3: That's a great compliment. Yeah, we can add me saying it in post if you want. That I love great. that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> shout out post work. <laughs> I wanted well, to say this other thing about uh, wealth management. Warren Buffett kind of says that, that like you should make a list of 25. I guess he says this. I mean, I heard it through the wire. I did not hear Warren Buffett say this. Someone said Warren Buffett. Said you're not this. friends um, with Warren Buffett? Shout out Warren Buffett. I'm not. we Ever since I got married, he, that's that community has, you know, dispersed. Um. (laughs) Anyway, I'll text him. So he said that you should make a list of twenty-five things that you want to do, but then he says like you should scribble out twenty of them and just like completely forget they exist and only focus on five of them. This is more about time than wealth. Is that? you only have so much time in your day to do anything. So if you really wanna be good at something, like you should focus on one of those things. But that also means that some of the things in your life you can't spend time on. So there are some things where you're like, I should make the bed. If you really wanna do this other thing, you actually shouldn't. You should acknowledge certain things in your life that you are putting time into and stop putting time into them, even if they're little things, because you won't have the time to write that screenplay or get some of those other things done. Um, I actually wrote down this quote that Mary Oliver said. She's a great poet. She said, there's no other way work of artistic worth can be done. And the occasional success to the striver is worth everything. The most regretful people on earth are those who felt the call to creative work, who felt their own creative power, restive and uprising and gave it neither power nor time. Oh. Oh wait, there's another great part. She said, it's 6 a.m. and I am working. I am absent-minded, reckless, heedless of social obligations, etc. And it must be. The tire goes flat. The tooth falls out. There will be a hundred meals without mustard. The poem gets written. I have wrestled with the angel and I am stained with light and I have no shame. Neither do I have guilt. My responsibility is not to the ordinary or the timely. It does not include mustard or teeth. It does not extend to the lost button or the beans in the pot. My loyalty is to the inner vision whenever and howsoever it may arrive. If I have a meeting with you at three o'clock, rejoice if I am late. Rejoice even more if I don't arrive at all. (laughs) I
1: love that so much too because I'm such a mess in some areas of my life and I feel like this Mary Oliver poem Quote whatever it's a it quote, is, it's beautiful. But it sounds like a poem, doesn't it? Um, it does sound like a poem. I mean, of course it does. She's wonderful. But this quote, I think, has really made Jacob hate me less.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't put mustard on a sandwich? Seriously, well, how do you forget the <laughs> mustard? <money? laughs> be on time. We'll
1: be, like, we'll be like cooking, and it will be like, "Did you follow the recipe?" And I'm like, "Well, I cut a couple corners. It just seemed like
3: a lot of time." <laughs> It's like my brambilia says: before this moment, you have infinite amount of time to be on time for this meeting, but once you're a minute late, you're late. <laughs> rejoice! <that> rejoice! I, <laughs>
1: rejoice that I was late.
3: Anyway, I love that. I love acknowledging that like there are some things in your life that have to fall have to the wayside, and you don't have to be good at them if you want to give that spirit to some of the things you're not currently doing. <sighs> I love it. <laughs> do you want me to keep going? I can Pish. drop. I can drop some more bombs, Pish. Pish if, what, uh, poetry makes me too sad?
1: Oh, what did that make you feel, Pish?
3: <laughs> no, no, no,
2: nothing.
1: I saw he just put his head down. <laughs>
2: the more
1: Jacob read, the more he put his head down on his desk.
0: I don't know if this is what Pish is feeling, but this is a thought I had listening to it. Is that's a challenge? You know, there's so many things you want to do, and if you can only do what you can do you literally can't do everything so some things get dropped some things get pushed aside and that's just the way it is but if you can acknowledge that and grant yourself some grace on those things it can help you pursue the things you care about without the guilt because a lot of times people who are in our boat who are pursuing artistic things you know we have to push aside what some people might call responsible choices, responsible things to do. And you can start to feel guilt and pressure for not staying up on those things as much as you might think you're supposed to. So I love that. Thanks for sharing that, Jacob.
3: Also on Sam Harris, there's a great talk uh, about what is happiness. And they said that when they talk to and look at a lot of people who had financial success, they like died unhappy. There becomes a point when your brain and body start deceiving you. It's part of human nature. You start to die. And so things that you want to be really good at, eventually you're going to hit a marker where you are no longer growing at that exact thing. I liked what he said. He, he said that, um, I realized in this moment that I, I'm not a French horn player. I'm a, I'm a man who plays French horn. When you can find contentment in the now, then you're not beholden to what you could have done or could have been. It's just like, what am I doing now? And am I good right now? Alan Watts talks about how like the past doesn't really exist. He's like, sure. It built up all the things to now, but now is all you have. There is no future. There is no past. There's just now. So he's like, you've got, you've got all the time in the world. If there's something you're not doing because you have right now. And, uh, it's like Tasha always says she, I'm sure it's a quote from someone else. She always says, um, we're the envy of all of the dead is because, you know, the likelihood we even exist in the first place is so fractional.
1: Shout out the short film World of Tomorrow.
3: <laughs> oh, that's right. We, such a great short film. And so it's like just the fact we even exist is kind of like this miracle. You already are accomplishing everything you can. You have everything right here that you need. I'm going to go
0: ahead and just spin this all back into improv because this is an improv podcast. I love that we could be talking improv and go into like wealth management, time management, meditation, short, like there's so much that, that, re- that relates and applies to improv. It's one of my favorite things. But what you were just saying is like, right now, like, what do you have right now? You have all you need. If you're on stage and you're in a scene and you're like, I've lost. It's like, no, no. Like you have everything you need right now.
3: One thing I'm like, I've been trying to push, um, Tush and I went and touch, ta- taught this workshop. It was called you, you act right? It's this conference here in uh, Cedar City for pretty much all of the theater teachers at any high school or middle school in the entire state of Utah. And we taught a workshop and like they don't understand really what long form improv is or really the benefit of improv. They see like who's lying in there like it's just a bunch of dumb games. And so we're trying to teach them like no it's this really great form like even as a tool for your kids who are doing theater even if you don't want to start your own improv program. And the reason that I really push it is because even though we're creatives and so many theater people are like, yeah, stretch your imagination. When they see King Lear, they're like, King Lear has to be played by an old man. But if you're doing it in a high school, maybe it can be played by a young man. But it still has to be like a male identifying person. The thing that we're trying to push all the time or that I'm trying to push is that I'm like, no, like you could have a 10 a year old girl pretending she's King Lear one moment and then the next moment just be a little girl or be a teacher and it it can all exist within the same show in the same world and we get the opportunity to play all of it at once it doesn't take 2 months of rehearsal to build up to it's just like let's just do it right now and so you give it expands our world and 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 in another way another thing that I love in improv that I I was thinking about recently is that I'm I'm just trying to bring humanity to the stage I'm just trying to portray real people and so when people are like you know can can you play a woman on stage with with pc culture can you play a black person can you play whatever and i'm like i mean not a stereotype no but if it doesn't serve the scene you can play anything you want and no one it doesn't even matter unless it comes up in the scene so you can tell yourself you're all of these things but unless it needs to be said out loud it doesn't even matter because you're playing a human and you're trying to bring humanity and empathy to them to, to different cultures and groups on stage and in exploring that, that's how we do it. But the moment you start playing a stereotype of something, like, of course.
1: Jacob and I were talking about this where I'm playing in these two Shakespeare plays roles that are traditionally men. They are male written roles. And I have like people being like, are you a man? Are you a woman? Are you like, what? I don't know, they're concerned about it. And it's interesting because it's like not my first thought. And I realized that the reason that it's not my first thought is because our identity on stage is so fluid. Any label that you think you have on stage can be changed by your partner, by the scene, by the moment, by yourself at any time. And so if you're playing humanity, all those other things are an illusion, like, and those labels can shift and you'll say yes to them and accept them and be them. And so it's interesting that I was like, yeah, the, the gender of these characters is just not my first thought, it's like my 20th thought after all these other things. And I think it's because of improv.
0: I really love that. I mean, how many times have all of us been playing a character that we, in our minds, was one thing? And then with just one word of our scene partner, it all changes and we can just let go of that. And we realize, oh, all of this stuff, that wasn't important. How I feel,
3: that's still here. That was important. I think it expands like, because then we're, we're touching base and empathizing with so many different types of people that walk this earth and and we get to p- portray them and try and give vulnerability to them on stage, even if we don't know what their real lives are like and we don't have to pretend we do. We don't have to pretend we know what it's like to be anyone we're not. But on stage, we can kind of explore it.
1: still your point of view, no matter yeah, what Yeah, it's
3: still be. gonna be your point of view. And Alan Watts had said in this talk, when we're kids, like we do certain actions and people around us decide and approve of those actions to be you. And so they go, yep, that's that's what Jacob does. Jacob is those things. And so if you decide one day, hey, I wanna do these other actions, people are like, I don't know a box to put you in. That's not what Jacob does. That's what Andrew does. And you're not Andrew Pish, you're Jacob. So be Jacob. But I think in improv, you can kind of, like we build this box and cultivate this incubator in which we're like, hey, I don't know what you are until you tell me when you're on that stage. So you can kind of explore these things of yourself that exist inside of you that are only you your thoughts and feelings because that's all you have but they like are sides you're like I don't know what it's like to portray that I don't know if it's something that resonates with me in my real life and I think it's shifted so much about my real life I'm so much softer and kinder as a human being because of improv because I'm always like yeah what is it like let me try it out let me see what it's like to bring humanity to that this
2: is sparking some insight in me and god I love talking to you Jacob and I feel like this is a normal conversation that you might have with a Jacob Sorling in your life. And I feel like uh, it's a part of reason that I feel so lucky to be in your life, but uh, I've felt stiff for a long time, probably longer than I would like to admit in improv. I was going through things and I was struggling and the way I was working to struggle to Get out of that struggle was to like really decide the kind of person that I wanted to be in my life and to realize that I hadn't put a lot of thought towards that before. I was just kind of living on autopilot so to speak. In doing that I kind of calcified this like story of myself and I found myself sometimes less comfortable to, I don't know, play outside the lines. Travis tried to pimp me into having an Irish accent in the show. And I was like, well, let's bump the brakes on that. Literally says, no, don't argue with me. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) You're so right, though. I mean, there are so many parts of all of us that are multifaceted. And improv really does give you the place to play and have those parts come out. And I think when I was a baby improviser, there was a freshness to the qualities that I was playing that now maybe have become a little stale. So it's exciting to maybe find a new direction of growth, you know, and just start to, start to build the awareness of where that might be.
3: Yeah, that's beautiful. I also think that the way you're perceived by people is so different than how you see yourself, you know? I remember we had this great talk, it was so beautiful. You were talking about how wonderful your grandfather was all the qualities about him. And, and Tasha and I were so invested in the way you were talking about your grandfather. You were like, he w- he could just bring people in and connect with them and hold their attention. And the whole time we were locked on attention with you and, and everything you were saying, it was like, oh, what's he gonna say next? I'm so here with you. I'm so present with you. And realizing like, you're doing all those things, man. Like you didn't see that, like you're worried about not being as good as your grandfather and like you are your grandfather. And I love that.
2: So, how much can you bench press?
3: <laughs> Look, 240 pounds, I think. Jesus. Damn.
1: Every time Pish tries to cut the tension with a bench press joke.
0: Classic Pish. <laughs> Well, Jacob, man, I, I feel like we could talk to you all night. I've got a lot more to say. Still, I got a list of things. Oh, go ahead, go <laughs> ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, just shout just, out the list. Shout out, shout out your out list. The list. Just okay. read it. Just fucking okay, read, read it. let me shout out my list. I'm just
3: gonna read out the list. So you guys prompted me. You said you want to pull inspiration from improv. Yeah. So okay. Right? So, let, so let, me, let me
0: let me let me prep that question a little bit because what what inspired that question? <laughs> we're we're still going. I I'm really interested in this idea of like getting inspiration for improv shows from other sources. A specific example I can think of, uh, I was watching the show Peacemaker on HBO with John Cena. Shout out, John Cena. They opened that show with a ridiculous dance. John Cena, super jacked buff superhero, and the entire cast of the show come out, and they do this dance. It's so dumb. And I was like, we should start an improv show like this. This is amazing. And so, and so now we do. Now Pish and I start our improv shows with like the dumbest dance you've ever seen. And I freaking love it. So yeah, do you have any sources from the outside world that you feel like you could pull into
3: improv? I'm like blown away by how well old films work. If you just watch an old movie, oh my gosh, it's the perfect fodder for improv. And um, I hope this isn't like a trade secret of Cook Counties, but a lot of what they said in, in their workshops is they were like, we're just doing Laurel and Hardy. We look at exactly how their patterns work and we replicate them on stage. And I find that maybe I'm not trying to do comedy because I like watching dramas. There's a movie called Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. It won the Academy Award.
1: Yeah, there was a, a whole year where we would watch a scene from Whatever Happened to Baby Jane Before every Jigsaw show, before every Buddy Puzzle show, we would watch this scene because we were like, they're going one line at a time. They're dropping huge bombs of, like, information every single time. They're emotionally reacting. There's maw. They, like, break and contract space. Like, everything about it, I was like, this is the best improv scene ever. And out of the context of the movie, without everything surrounding it's so funny. Like, if you've never seen it and they drop these huge bombs, it seems insane which is what makes i think a really big buddy puzzle thing is like we like heightening the stakes to the point of insanity
3: it's so ironic to me because i don't think i've ever seen a short form group or an improv group do film noir and not do this thing where they like turn to the camera and they're like or to the audience and they're like Jim wants me to sit down, but I don't want to sit down. I guess I'll sit down. And then they, you know, they're like aware of the audience. But if you watch a real film noir, which that's in some film noirs, but actual film noirs got this like air about them that isn't addressing the audience all the time. Like not every movie does. Earlier today, actually, I was watching this movie called The Killers. It's a movie from 19, I want to say 1940. It starts out with them immediately walking into a diner and no one says anything. They just sit down and he's like, what can I get you? And they're like, Oh, what can you get me? I'll take two eggs and where's Pete? You know? And he's like, Pete, how do you know about Pete? And then there's like space. And like the thing that they do, the thing they do in these old movies is they give tons of air, but they're also just filling exposition. So movies now, Marvel movies are like, show don't tell. We're just going to watch the two monsters fight. Back in the day, it was like, now we need to know why these guys are in there and they're gonna tell us why they're in here in this whole scene. So we're touching our world and we're making them breakfast, but at the same time, they're just spilling the whole beans on where is this where is this Pete guy? When's he showing up? It's, it's fantastic.
0: It's a great initiation. I would love a scene. <clears throat> where a guy goes I'll take two eggs and where's Pete it's like <laughs> wherever the scene goes next from there I'm all in I love that
3: exactly and I think like when you watch like Quentin Tarantino movies I'm like Quentin Tarantino is basically just making fan fiction of film like he's like paying tribute to these old westerns or to old Hollywood movies or to film noir or to Bruce Lee s- Bruce Lee samurai martial art films gung fu so we can just do the same you just take these moments because we do understand what film is and you're like you know what today we're gonna do the killer. And next week we'll do uh, whatever happened to baby Jane. And you don't need to memorize their lines. You just take the essence of that character. This is kind of what they were, how they were talking, the pace they were speaking at. And like, let's try that out today.
1: That's something that Jacob and I do a lot is that we'll watch something or we'll see, even more than a movie, we'll see something in real life. And I'll be like, that was the best best improv I've ever seen. (laughs) Because it'll be like somebody being so... I'm like there's such a character I'm so engaged with him and it and because it's life it's like even weirder than anything you would do on stage and I'm always like that's the best improv ever.
3: Yeah, yeah I'll say like if you guys know uh who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, the Edward Albee play, I'm like, I'm pretty convinced that whole play is just two characters improvising. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole thing. They just imp- it's a couple that improvises with each other.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I was at a store recently and I overheard a conversation with a guy at the cashier. The cashier had some tattoos and the guy was like, oh, did it hurt to get those tattoos? And she was like, no, it wasn't too bad. And he's like, oh, I really want one, but I don't like needles. I really want to get my rap name tattooed on my arm. And he was like 40 year old white dude, like just like a little overweight, like probably a dad. He's like, yeah, I really want to get my
3: rap name tattooed on my arm. And I was like, what a cool detail. I want to drop that in an improv show. I'll listen to This American Life or Radio Lab or Invisibilia or The Moth or New York Times The Daily or Philosophize This because I want real things like real philosophies, real people, real stories rather than listening to like a comedy podcast to inspire characters because there are already caricatures of real people. I recently stumbled on this YouTube channel called All Gas, No Breaks. Have you guys heard of it? Uh-uh. I really adore the host of it. He's like a 25 year old kid that like got his degree in journalism and was like, I don't like the way the media portrays things. So he goes to all these events, like a proud boy rally or to the George Floyd protests. And he doesn't try to build a narrative of what he wants people to say. So he doesn't really ask them questions. Like he'll be like, what are you doing here? And then he kind of just lets them talk. And what I like about it is that it, it both gives humanity to people, but it also shows like how crazy and ridiculous people are once you just like kind of give them a chance to talk. And what I like about this guy specifically is he's like, I don't want fake people. So like, he went to the Sturgis motorcycle rally, and someone like had a pink wig on, and they were like playing this character of Mama Bear or something. And he was like, they're already there, like playing a character. Like, I want a real person. I, I really like pulling from real people that we know exist and that way when you're playing them even when they're ridiculous and it seems like you're doing a character of them or you're mocking them you're not you're really just like playing their humanity
1: okay if you could put in in an improv book like something that every kid would pick up at the library if they were interested in improv like what advice would you give to a new improviser
3: that was a lot. So someone's picking up a book and then they're just okay, opening Okay, it
1: could be you don't you can fr- you can frame someone's it however you want. Someone's picking up a
2: book.
3: Yeah. And okay, so you're there
2: a, speaking to them trying to get shout out books.
1: <laughs> shout out library. Shout out. Books. Shout you're out trying library. to
2: get their attention but they're really captivated by this book okay. and you're like, "Hey kid, come outside for a moment." But you're talking through a really thickly painted glass. And you've
1: got a switchblade <laughs> and you're like, "Get out here." Um and then And then they have a knife pointed at them and and you're all like, you're going to take this improv advice. And they're like, okay, I have to, I have to do what you say. Um, What, what advice would you force them to take by switchblade outside of the library?
3: I don't think there's a great revelation or something that, that that I'm going to drop because it's already on your podcast. But in listening to BOC, I, I like loved when he just said like, you are enough. That's like the thing, the principle in improv that I love. Yeah. Go, Go figure out a workout routine, eat healthy. Like those are things for longevity and to, to really like live in your body and appreciate yourself and grow. But if you're not like, hey man, you're already good enough for this art form. That's what's great. You don't have to get in shape like Chris Pratt or Chris Evans to be in a Marvel movie to get on our stage. You can just get on our stage.
1: Are they in the same shape?
3: I don't know. Okay, I'm just curious. Chris Hemsworth is the one that's like, I guess in really good shape. Because Chris Bale said that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He wasn't going to get in better shape. What about Chris Pine? Chris Pine seems like he's in pretty good shape. But not in that kind of shape. He's not in a Chris Pratt shape. What
1: about Chris Plummer?
3: Oh, Chris Plummer. Have you guys seen Sound of Music?
1: Man, Chris Plummer.
3: Well, if you do musical improv, there's a lot to pull from.
1: Chris Plummer was a real awakening for young Tasha. I thought he was so beautiful. I still think (laughs) he's
2: beautiful. Christopher, like like idol vice. Yes. Like yes. sound of sound music. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, you, you got yeah. it. You heard and me.
1: Him and Julie Andrews have, that's the most sexual chemistry I've ever seen two people have when they're dancing and just like touching hands. That's a man.
3: Oh, that's a man. And yeah. then, uh, the, the last thing I, I feel like unless we, you know, keep going down a rabbit hole, the la- the last thing that, Pish had kind of brought up before the interview was um looking at the state of improv with major theaters closing down and knowing so many talented improvisers currently aren't regularly improvising. Um what are what are my thoughts on that?
1: Wow, Jacob could have run this interview himself. We're <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. anyway, you can cut out that part. But um and Pish, shout out Pish, you can just say it and post. The the thing that I was thinking about when it came to that, and that's so interesting when I said like earlier, I, I prayed to the god of theater, is that? All of my best friends, all the people who I feel like are family outside of my blood family are all performers and and it's built the community and the like quote unquote church that I I go to and that I commune at. And so what, what really sucks about a lot of theaters closing is that it's made it so we don't have a lot of community outside of these Zoom meetups or seeing on Instagram. And I liked what BOC said about some of these places um you know trying to open up a bar open a coffee shop because we need spaces when we're not on stage because like we're we're driven to be on stage and we can perform in house shows we can perform in garages we'll just do bits like that part's not hard to find i think some people struggle but i really think if you're really in love with this this art form you should know you can kind of build your own show so easy. They're so easy to self-produce. Even if you're not going to the level of shaky down, shaky town, shakedown, you can still just put up a house show or do something with a small group of people. I, I think it does suck that, that, that kind of has gone away for the moment, but that's the thing I want to see come back. I like, I love seeing that like the clubhouse is open because it'd be nice if they had some kind of food or something there, but it's nice that you, there's just kind of a lobby area you can hang out. And I like that sometimes the shows, I don't know if this is still the case, but They used to run like three hours. So that way you're like, well, we know what we're doing tonight. (laughs) You know, I don't know if we'll watch every show, but we'll definitely hang out. I don't know that that says what my thoughts are on the state of them them closing, but it just is a thought on the state of improv and what I think about it as a community. It's like more than just in art form for me.
1: Yeah, we need to build that community space. That's really what's missing.
0: Actually, we just talked to someone at the... Mega the podcast lives show shout out Mega. We were all hanging out after the show, and, and uh, someone who had just moved back into town asked that very question. She was like, "Where's the? Where's everyone hanging out? Like, where's the hub? Like, IO's closed. Like, where? Like, where? Where is everyone?" And we were like, "Good question."
2: Yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard to live with that reality that there's not a clear answer, and it's. I think it's even must be hard for the city of Chicago to have lost something so powerful over the last what 50 60 years of its existence
3: um what's crazy in major cities i think the fallout's been much bigger because of the cost of living but in smaller places like Rise Comedy Theater in Denver, Josh and Nick are are creating a beautiful community there. And it and feels- got a
1: great space to hang out.
3: Yeah, they have a bar. It feels
1: like IO. <laughs> and it
3: feels like IO West did, except the management you adore and love.
1: That place we went in St. Louis.
3: We went to a place in St. Louis called the Improv Shop. And uh, Tasha and I started crying when we walked in. Cause it it Andy, uh, who runs the theater, built a replica of I.O. Chicago Stage It on his stage. You walk in and you're like, it feels like I.O. And then you walk into the theater and you're like, it is I.O. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, and there was there's like a patio with a fire pit and and a huge bar. Yeah, it was so crowded.
1: Yeah, one thing that Jacob's really good at is anytime we're in a new city or visiting someplace we've been, he's like, I'll get us a show. So, like, when we're in St. Louis, he's like, let's go find out what the improv theater is. You know, if we're in Denver, he's like, I'm just going to write the artistic director of this place, and let's just get a show. I love that. Which is like, <sighs> someone who does the legwork, it's so nice.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome.
1: Shout out, buddy puzzle.
0: <clears throat> shout out, buddy puzzle. That's a good That's a good note to wrap, wrap up on, a buddy puzzle shout out. Does anyone else have any other questions? Or, Jacob, how's your list looking? Do you want to... <laughs> Keep going.
3: No, I I I hit this list pretty good. You nice. know, I just needed to read off a few inspirational things. I'm glad um, you did, guys. Set intentions. Do warm ups before your shows. You know, treat it like it's an art form you care about.
1: Put the switchblade down, sir. <laughs> I will do those things.
2: Also, sir, can you please step away from the children? This is a children's library. Only children are allowed in. That's why it has low ceilings. Ever
1: since he shaved to a mustache, he's just been acting very strange. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that'll happen that'll happen
3: i can't believe i got so close to crying too during this podcast and everyone seems to cry on this podcast uh kif cried i think holly cried bsc cried yeah um, and i was hoping uh, i was hoping maybe i could get there and when when, I pi- think when pish kind of connected i
1: think we got a lot of people to cry
0: honestly i probably i probably won't even air it since
3: you didn't cry I was... Just Sad. add in crying in post. What do you <laughs> that's the
1: thing is improv improv just breaks your heart little heart open. So it's like when you start talking about it. I mean, Jacob almost cried talking about Pish, though. So I guess we all just really love each other.
0: Yeah.
3: I love the hell out of you guys. You guys are beautiful artists, and I love that you're doing this. This
2: conversation's really uh, inspired me. It's put the wind back in my sails. I felt I mean, outside of Travis, and I'm not trying to downplay Travis, in any way at all, at all, period. I would never do that. But I don't spend the majority of my time with artists. Very different lifestyle. And it's just different life priorities. To hear you talking the way that you're talking right now has been like a reminder of a lot of things that I feel like I've been slowly losing touch with. So I'm very grateful to you, Sensei Jacob, for this
3: conversation you guys are geniuses and artists and you got this you guys are so fucking talented and i'm really proud to be associated with you
1: i love you jacob i i i can i i'm gonna close this out with one thing please i met jacob and was like oh my gosh he's cute we do bits and it and like we have fun and i want to hang out with him every day he's amazing and then Jess Euler, who used to play with Storm Chaser, was like, well, you haven't seen him improvise. Like, what if he's not funny? Like, what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I went and saw him and Josh Dickinson do their duo, Soar Dick, at the clubhouse downstairs. And I remember texting Storm Chaser, like, right after their set was over. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he's funny. Thank fuck. He is so funny. And they had this incredible set where Josh played this mailman who came in and Jacob was playing this like older housewife who was like a cougar to this young mailman but he was so grounded and played it with such integrity and not as a caricature but with so much humanity and it was so funny and I just feel privileged that he's a part of my improv journey and I and he he's made me such a better artist and actor and improviser and I am so happy that I'm married to him. So thanks for being here.
3: Also, c- because Aww. Holly read a poem, can I read a poem?
1: Let's <laughs> just talk all night. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs>
3: okay. I'm going to read home, this poem please. because this is what I like. This is what I like to, um, because of Holly, I really like to read poetry to to students when I'm teaching them now. And I really like to read poetry before shows. This is called The Laughing Heart by Charles Bukowski. Your life is your life. Don't let it be clubbed into dank submission. Be on the watch. There are ways out. There is light somewhere. It may not be much light, but it beats the darkness. Be on the watch. The gods will offer you chances. Know them. Take them. You can't beat death, but you can beat death in life sometimes. And the more often you learn to do it, the more light there will be. Your life is your life. Know it while you have it. You are marvelous. The gods wait to delight in you.
1: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show.
2: You can find us on all of the socials. That's right. The social media programs. We're on Instagram and TikTok at Storm Chaser Improv. We've also got videos on YouTube. Just search for us at Storm Chaser Improv. We've got shows. We've also got clips from our podcast and you can find all the other links that we have to get tickets to our shows and find other projects that we're working on at the link in our bio on Instagram. And of course, my friends, if you enjoyed this podcast, push all the buttons,
0: share it, like it, subscribe to it. And if you're listening on iTunes, give us a little five star review. That would be fantastic.
1: This is my friend, Travis Lincoln Cox.
0: This is my
2: friend, Andrew Pish. And this is my friend, Anatasha Blakely. Thank you so much for listening. See you all again soon.
1: Thank you for listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show.